1: real history never dies stream the redacted history podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts welcome 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 friends i'm tk your tour guide to the past and you are listening to for the love of history the podcast where we talk about world history women's history and weird history and we are turning into an author interview podcast as well because today we have another wonderful author visiting us and today we have dr omar ali the dean of lloyd international honors college and historian at university of north carolina at greensboro and the author of multiple books so, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Omar.
0: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: I'm so excited to talk about your book today, The Independent Voter. Could you tell us a little bit about it?
0: Sure. So, um, it's a book that I co-wrote with uh, two of my uh, dear colleagues, Tom Riley and Jacqueline Salit, published by Rutledge uh, 2023. And what we do is we do a deep dive into the history of this uh, the largest and sorts of plurality of voters at this point, independents, uh, people who self identify as neither Democrat nor Republican, but as independent or unaffiliated with the parties. And so now, you know, we have about 45% of Americans who self identify as such. Mm-hmm. And that number has been pretty steady and, and has been growing over the years. It's usually a category of people that. Um, are, are just ignored, quite frankly, and if they're if they're talked about, they are oftentimes ridiculed as sort of closet Democrats or closet Republicans. They haven't decided. Uh, sometimes they're characterized as you know centrists, um, and we sort of dispel some of these ideas and look at the history of independence in American um, in, the, in the life of American politics. And I'll just say from the beginning. Uh, For those of you who you might not listen to the entire podcast, this is the juice. (laughs) Independent voters throughout American history have been basically the driving force of democracy. If you look at in some ways, the role of those who are outside of the two major parties. They have been the ones who've raised the critical issues of the day, whether it's the abolition of slavery or the the populist explosion in the late 19th century, the progressive movements of the early 20th century. Uh, The civil rights movement itself was something that came from an outside, that is, neither Democrats or Republicans. So it's been very important to document this history at a time where Americans feel very divided in terms of partisanship and the role of independence, we believe in some ways is critical to the development of democracy at this important juncture.
1: Amazing. So what made you want to write this book in the first place?
0: It's a great question. So. I've been very interested in independent voters for upwards of 30 years. Um, I've I've written a number of books on the topic before people even understood what it it was to be an independent. I mean, nowadays, people recognize the category, uh, even though independents aren't really recognized to the extent that they probably should be. Uh, Not probably, that they definitely should be. but the, the my interest came from the fact that when I was, um, I started off as an undergraduate at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and I remember it was a year that there was an election. Uh, it was in 1988. And I remember being introduced to the candidates, and I just thought that the ways in which things were talked about was very oppositional, and it didn't lo- didn't leave room for space for people who may not feel that they should fit into any Either of these two major party Mm -hmm. boxes. And so that began my journey. And I've I've been particularly interested in the role of African Americans in independent political movements. Mm -hmm. Um, I mentioned the abolitionists and the populists and, you know, the civil rights movement itself was really an independent movement and drivers of democracy. So for me, to understand the state of America required uh, an understanding of this history of this very important grouping of people. And it wasn't always clear that that was the sort of the thesis, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, it's become ever more clear, especially in the last few years, as we're seeing sort of a breakdown of democracy, um, as a result of hyper partisanship and the role of the two major parties in that, which I'd be happy to talk about more.
1: Yeah, I would love to know more about that. Uh, I am am not very well versed in American history, so I would love to know more about the the mm-hmm. history of the bipartisan in America.
0: Yeah, sure. So in some ways, you know, there's nothing in the Constitution that talks about political parties. And in fact, George Washington warned against... The what he called the spirit of the party and sort of the corroding nature of partisanship on the republic. And in some ways, that was a very uh, insightful thing to have said at that time, at the beginning of the republic. And since then, there have been basically two bodies that have kind of controlled government, if you will. And it wasn't sort of until you know, the civil war thereafter Thereafter, that we see the two major parties as it's currently understood—the Democratic and Republican parties—emerge. But prior to that, you had, you know, you had the the Democratic and Whig parties, and before that, you had the Federalists yeah. and Anti-Federalists. So there've been always these sort of these two major factions, if you will. And of course, the Democratic Party itself has gone through major changes, as has the Republican over the last century. But there is there's a way in which we conflate the two major parties with government. And in some ways, it's, 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 people should not feel bad about that. It's just the way that they've actually organized things. So the major parties are private organizations, and yet they've written the rules to make it seem as if they're public. And they actually derive tax dollars by, by the rules that they write. So for instance, in the primary, so primaries are the first round of elections before the general election. Um, Half of the states have closed primaries, and those primaries are paid by taxpayers. And yet it's two private entities, the Democratic and Republican parties, that are benefiting from taxpayer dollars in that way, and to the exclusion of those who may be part of, quote, third parties or independents. So we make this conflation with the two major parties as if it's government, but it's not. And so many people have been trying to build a movement. And I was fortunate enough to work with people, critical leaders of the movement going back to the early 90s. And many people were introduced to the idea of something being somebody not a Democrat or Republican in 1992 with Ross Perot. uh, He was a Texas billionaire. And he used basically about $70 million of his own money to be competitive and get his name out but who has $70 million to spare? Uh, and so <laughs> it's, it's really set up in a way that it, you have to be extremely wealthy or uh, have a lot of celebrity to even get some kind of recognition if you're not a Democratic or Republican uh, nominee. So the, the rules are written to favor the Democratic and Republican Party candidates through, I mentioned the primaries, with closed primaries, making it basically impossible for anybody who's not a Democrat or Republican to impact. But also through ballot access laws, like getting your just having your name on the ballot to run, um, it requires enormous work to do that. I worked very closely with the first woman and the first African American. Her name is Dr. Lenora Fulani. Uh, in 1988, she became the first woman and the first African American to get on the ballot in all 50 states, and I worked on her 92 campaign, and it was all about trying to raise the issue of the lack of democracy in the sense of these independents being excluded from the process. Um, But it's very difficult. And in order for her to get on the ballot in all 50 states, she had to gather about 1.2 million signatures, and she had to win 11 state lawsuits against election boards. So again, who has the capacity to do that? Not ordinary citizens. No. So Parties have essentially taken over government. I mean, you can say literally that the the parties have 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 taken over like a coup d'état uh, uh-huh. of the American government. We don't think of it like that, but no, but yeah. it, it, they're deeply entrenched. So that's a little bit about uh, the role of of the two major parties. And things have just gotten to a point now where. People are really pit against each other, and people don't feel like they have any other choice except for to vote for the lesser of the, quote,
1: two evils. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Was the Sphinx 10,000 years old? Were there serial killers in ancient Greece and Rome? What were the lives of transgender, intersex, and non-binary people like in the ancient world? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. We tell you true stories and tall tales of the ancient world. Sometimes we do it tipsy. Sometimes we have amazing guests on our show. Historians like Barry Strauss, podcasters like Liv Albert, Mike Duncan, and authors like Joanne Harris and Ben Aronovich. We take you to the top of Hadrian's Wall to watch the Roman Empire fall at the end of the world. We walk the catacombs beneath the Temple of the Feathered Serpent under Teotihuacan. We walk the sacred spirals of the Nazca Lines in search of ancient secrets. And we explore mythology from ancient cultures around the world. Come find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And so how did these two parties get started? So at the beginning, there weren't any parties, right? So What, what was the catalyst of this creation? How did it happen?
0: I mean, you know, we have the right to to assemble and the Mm -hmm. freedom of speech. uh, And in some ways, there are these rights that can bring like-minded people together. And so the first formation, if you will, were the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, two major sort of different philosophical views on what the government should be like. Um, And over time, uh, you know, it becomes the Democratic and Republican Party uh, after the Civil War uh, there were a few, you know, steps in between that I mentioned, the Whigs and the Democrats, mm-hmm. but but the the Democratic and Republican parties have, have have basically written the rules to keep themselves in power, um, and so it's it's perpetuated because of the laws that they put into place, the conventions that they have. I'll I'll, I'll share with you something here. So yeah. in order. To get on the ballot to run for statewide office in North Carolina, which is where I am, mm-hmm. like running for U.S. senator or running for, um, you know, for governor or running for president, you have to gather a certain number of signatures. Now, um, uh, for the Democrat and Republicans, they um, have to gather uh, zero signatures, while independents and third party cans have to gather upwards of 100,000 signatures. So. Yeah, I know, it seems outrageous. And so the rules are written to keep the Democrats and Republicans sort of in those positions of authority. So that's one example. Um, And most people, yeah, most people don't know. I'll give you another example. The, The body that oversees the presidential debates is called the Commission on Presidential Debates. They basically are made up of three Democrats and three Republicans so they won't allow independence into the debates the last time they did that was in 1992 when ross perot was permitted in because each of the major parties thought they would it would help their party Mm. and 20 million people uh, came out and voted for him which is the largest voter turnout for an independent in american history so so essentially if you can give some platforms to independent voters and independent candidates you can see that there's real like appeal, like tens of millions of people are interested. Um, So we're in the middle of a long movement of of Americans trying to push back against the hyper-partisanship and control of the two major parties. So the book basically documents that. It's called The Independent Voter, published by Rutledge. And it it goes through that history and also some of the um, legal um, fights and some of the policies and, and also we do some surveying. Um, my two colleagues are, are co-directors of a center at the University of, North, of Arizona mm-hmm. uh, called the Center for an Independent and Sustainable Democracy at Arizona State University, I should say. Mm-hmm. And they've just done a recent survey that sort of shows just the reception to political reform to open up the process. Um, so those are some of the things I think that, uh, people might be interested in learning more about if you're not a strict Democrat or strict Republican. Um, yeah,
1: that's so fascinating. I didn't, I didn't know that the Democrats and the Republicans are a private entity. So they, they just kind of do their own thing. And then because they get elected into different positions, then they're able to write the laws that exclude other people from entering that seems not okay to me
0: that's right you articulated it beautifully that's exactly <laughs> what has happened that's exactly right they those who make the rules rule and they are the rule writers and they perpetuate the the their position and so it's a rigged system it's rigged yeah truly um, you know So, yeah, it's unfortunate. And, you know, the thing is that many people say, well, why don't these independents just come together and, you know, elect themselves? Well, it's hard because one of the ways in which politics has been organized in the United States is is that you have to run with political parties. That's one thing. But also that we think that we actually have to organize around shared ideology. It seems like, Mm -hmm. of course you As, you know, if you're a quote progressive, then you should organize around that. If you're more conservative, blah, blah, blah. but the fact is, is that, and actually, the the founding of the nation was not based on political ideology per se in terms of where you stand on X, Y, or Z issue. It was actually, it was actually the issue of process. No taxation without representation is a process issue. It's about representation. So, what basically, independents really run the gamut. They they go across the entire political spectrum, but the one thing that they share in common is a concern about the process being closed, and so it's a democracy issue. So, in some ways, the most important democracy issue in the United States, or in and I would say in, in much of the world, given the power mm-hmm. that the United States have has mm-hmm. internationally, yeah.
1: Truly, is. Yeah
0: right, is the issue of democracy right here in the United States, where, where at least I am. I know that you're yeah. uh, in Japan. In
1: Japan. <laughs> but Jap- I mean, Japanese policies are greatly affected by American policies. We've got so many different American military bases. Anything mm-hmm. that America does with their economy directly affects the Japanese economy. Japan depends so heavily on the us that anything Mm -hmm. that happens there pretty much has a ripple effect over here
0: that's right that's Mm -hmm. right yeah so yeah so it's in some ways it's it's really uh, a critical movement of people who want to open up the process but it's very very difficult but you know in american history there have been times where things seem to be insurmountable um, and I think that we can point to the civil rights movement as a movement that was dealing with, you know, systemic racism in the form of Jim Crow. And it was, a, it was a movement that really challenged this and and was able to reach enough Americans to galvanize politicians to do what the American people wanted to. And that culminated in the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act of 1964-65. But that... Democracy is not sort of a thing that is gained and then da da. It's something that's it's a process and it's emergent, and so one has to always be cultivating that that sensibility. Um, so I think that you know I feel very um, I feel very grateful to those generations of Americans and others who've pushed for democracy in the United States. So uh, in in a way, my small contribution is to document some of this history and to share some of that um, some of that with, with people who are interested.
1: Yeah, that is, this book sounds absolutely fascinating. So I wanted to ask you, do you talk about what people are doing now to kind of open up the two parties and make it more possible for independents to run?
0: Yeah. Thank you for that question. Um, my, my colleague, Jackie Sailit, Jacqueline Salet, um, is the president also of the of independentvoting.org, which is a national network of independents who are essentially trying to push on some of the policies that limit um, independents from participating in elections. And so one of the important political reforms um, is that of opening up the primaries
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: You know, during the era of Jim Crow, there was this thing called the white primaries, which is basically only white people could vote in the primaries. So if you were parts of the South, um, African-Americans could not participate in who would end up being the general election candidates. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, independents, and one should be careful not to equate independent voters with the plight of African-Americans under Jim Crow, but Mm -hmm. structurally, legally, independents really are second class citizens. Uh, in the sense that they don't, they don't, they can't participate in, um, in elections and the primaries in half of the states. Um, so in some ways, I think independence can draw inspiration from the the courage and the um, sort of creative organizing, a courageous organizing of those who led um, the civil rights movement. Uh, primarily African Americans who put their bodies on their lo- on the line to kind of push for some of these changes in the, in the American South and in the country um, and serve as a model. So, independents are really pushing for things like open primaries, um, and there are some independents that are really eager to try to get ballot access reforms to make it easier to get on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, for a time, people really were trying to get campaign finance reform so that you know um, all candidates would have to have the same amount of money to to to, um, to try to you know uh, push for their campaigns. But that movement actually did not do that much for independence, quite frankly, mm-hmm. and it sort of petered out. And especially with the Supreme Court's ruling that is essentially allowed, you know, corporations and nonprofits to give as much money as they want to campaigns, wow. uh, it's sort of we're in a situation where that tactic is not going to not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's a number of things that independents uh, would would want to see to open up the process. But I would say the most important one, the one that's gained the most traction these days is open primaries. Yeah, And by the way, I'll just mention what? that two people that gave us blurbs, uh, very kind of them were none other than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> He he was a former governor of of California, but also somebody who's actually really been an advocate for political reform. There's actually a center at the University of Southern California that um, that he helped to fund. But he's a real advocate of of open primaries. And the other person that blurred is uh, Andrew Yang, who was a a Democratic (gasps) Party candidate. Yeah, he's known. So these are in some ways two voices that are extensively different political parties. Yang comes out of the Democratic Party, Schwarzenegger out of the Republican, but are recognizing the importance of having a, a more level playing field because ultimately it comes down to policy. So democracy is fine in sort of the abstract. You can say, oh yeah, we should aspire to that. But but the, real, the reason why I think that's important is because unless you have more opening uh, in terms of policy decisions, some of the most brilliant ideas aren't going to see the light of day because of partisan interests, mm-hmm. and so um, there are, there are programs, after school programs. I've been involved for many years in the All Stars program um, that does some really good work with young people. But there's you know there's literally dozens of of, of things that people are doing on the ground, but because they don't have the political cloud, the partisan connections, they don't get to see the light of day. So we sh- we are doing ourselves a disservice by not maximizing democracy, to at least have a shot of different ideas surfacing to deal with the really the intractable, intractable problems of poverty in America, environmental degradation. Um, these are major issues, the healthcare system. We have people who are doing some really good things, and mm-hmm. unfortunately the models are very um, vested in, in the current partisan structure because the people who fund the electors are the ones who have the money to then reinforce certain policies and the partisans play that role in being the gatekeepers. Mm. So we need to bust that open.
1: Yeah. So basically, hope is not lost. There are people who are working towards busting open this system and uh, we, yeah. we, we can feel confident that hopefully someday the this bipartisan system will not be as strict as it is right now.
0: Yeah, that's well put. In some ways, you can't get rid of political parties, but you can diminish their influence and increase the voices of ordinary people. In some ways, it's that simple. Um, So, you know, everybody has a right to be part of a political party, but not when they're controlling the political process that's ultimately determining policy.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that seems a little bit unfair to put it very, very lightly. So at the risk of you know, just giving away everything in your book, I will end our chat here so that there's a little bit left um, for people to want to go read your book, The Independent Voter. I will put links to where you can purchase this book in the show notes and over on Instagram. Please go pick this up. I am going to hop online and get it myself as soon as we're off this uh, meeting. (laughs) Because it sounds so interesting. Thank you so much, Dr. Omar, for coming on and talking about this. I feel like my mind has just been blown. They're, <laughs> they're, they're private entities, the Democrats yeah. and the Republicans. So crazy, so yeah. Crazy. Oh yeah. my gosh!
0: Okay. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Of course, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for reaching out, and uh, I will see you in the outro. Well, dear one, thank you so much for joining me for one of the most eye-opening episodes that we have had. And thank you again for Dr. Omar Ali for coming on to tell us all about his book, The Independent Voter. Remember, it is voting season right now, so make sure that you are registered to vote. And if you can, get out to the polls. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a rating or review, which really, really helps the podcast reach more potential history and. If you'd like to support more history goodness and have some more history goodness, you can head on over to Patreon to support the podcast. Patrons help give me the ability to make better and better content for you each week. They really help this podcast keep going. So your support means the world to me and I cannot thank you enough. And if you'd like to get your hand, hand or or both hands on some of the most pumpy sweaters for the winter season. You can head on over to Pour the Love of History merch store, links in the show notes. And with that, I will say, please do something that makes you happy this week. Drink your water. And I will see you next week, my delicious little donut, when we uncover the secrets of the Okinawa cave girls. Okay, love you. Bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.